0: Well, it's great to be uh, back here at uh, this church. Last time I was here, there was just one morning service. And uh, the thing I remember most vividly was uh, before the children went out, uh, parents prayed with their children. I thought this was a brilliant idea. So I've been telling people all around the world about it, what a great idea it is. So just think if you had $5 for every Church, I've recommended this practice to you. You'd, you'd be very wealthy, as long as you gave me a $1 cut for the publicity. See? Anyway, I have very happy memories of being here before. It's a great delight to be back again. Now, I may have said last time, but I say it every time I preach now, uh, God, God's given you two ears uh, so you can listen to sermons, one ear for yourself to listen for yourself, and one ear to listen for somebody else. So whatever God teaches you today, he wants you to pass on to somebody else in the next couple of weeks. Because I often find when somebody asks me a question, uh, I think, oh, I heard a sermon about that recently. As a matter of fact, I preached a sermon about that recently. Now, what did the preacher say? And so I pass it on. So uh, may God teach us for ourselves and may God teach us for others as well. Now we have a memory verse. It's the very last verse of the uh, reading from uh, Romans chapter 5. It's a memory verse, and I'd like us to say it together. I, I prefer the translation ra- uh, ruled rather than reigned. So, Notice the word ra- ruled, reigned comes twice, so both times we'll say ruled. Let's say it together. So that just as sin ruled in death, so also grace might rule through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is a memory verse, it's also a ministry verse, so you need to learn it so you can use it in your conversation. Say it again. So that just as grace ruled in death, so also grace might rule through righteousness to bring eternal life of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, let's ask the question, who rules our world? There are many different answers to that, aren't there? You might say uh, the political parties rule the world. Mm, Yes, I suppose so. You might say governments rule the world, but actually governments don't seem to be completely able to rule all the world, do they at the moment? Because Multinational companies are so powerful. Perhaps multinational companies rule the world. Or perhaps evil people rule the world. Perhaps there are clever people behind closed doors ruling our world. People used to say the Jews were the evil people who ran the world. That was Hitler's idea. Perhaps it's Anglicans or Presbyterians or Baptists who are an evil coalition who rule the world. Frightening thought no actually most people think that economic forces rule the world they say let's leave it to the market well the market isn't like sort of victoria market it's sort of a more ethereal market of market forces and supply and demand and so on perhaps economics rules the world or military power perhaps the person with the wi- who wins the arms race rules the world we're not sure who that's going to be yet but there are two strong contenders i think Perhaps the person with the biggest bomb. Perhaps it's the media. They tell us what to think about and what to talk about. Why did we all talk about Barnaby Joyce? What a distressing subject. For one week, because the media told us to. Who is actually ruling our world? Perhaps it's public opinion, though public opinion is so easily manipulated, isn't it? I was watching one of those shows where people tell you who their favourite politicians are. <laughs> and this one said, well, the new breed of politicians, they're, they're, they're just wonderful. She said, Macron in France, and uh, what's his name in Canada, and the lady from New Zealand, yeah, Justin so Justin Trudeau, and the lady from New Zealand, what's her name? Anyway, she, and I thought, you're just going for the young and attractive people, <laughs> that's all you're doing. Well, when Paul wrote Romans, he explained that actually, there are two world powers, sin and grace. Sin and grace are the great world powers Paul recognises. And that was true when Paul wrote Romans way back in the first century. And when you think about it, he could be describing our world today because sin is so powerful in our world. I'm sorry to tell you, but it's true, isn't it? You just think if everybody loved their neighbour all around the world, what a different world it would be. No stealing, no need for police, no one in need, no one without a home, no one dying alone, no taxes, because we'd all be... Sending off money voluntarily to the government. We say, We need another to to hospital, I'll contribute to it. No locks, no one alone. And think how different our world is. Someone described the 20th century as the most violent century in world history. Isn't that extraordinary? And we had a war to end all wars. Do you remember that? But instead, we've had wars and wars since then, haven't we? And millions and millions of refugees, never more refugees than there are now. And sin rules our world, if you look around, because of the inequity, the injustice in our world today. There are people who are too rich for their own good and many people who are too poor for their own good. And that's increasing in Australia, actually, not decreasing, it's getting worse. That's not a good world, is it? It's a world in which sin is ruling. And please notice, Paul doesn't say that sins rule, that is, actually doing acts of sin. He says that sin rules. Because the acts of sin that I commit come from the sinfulness of of my heart from the sin that dwells within me. It's not that I occasionally sin, make a mistake, <laughs> rebel against God, or am angry with someone. It's not an occasional sin that matters. What really matters is, is sin, that is, my sinfulness. I was uh, driving my car to uh, preach in another church a few weeks ago out in the eastern suburbs, and uh, because of a number of reasons, many excuses, I hadn't prayed that morning, so I thought, well, I'll pray while I'm driving. I can manage to pray and drive at the same time. And I was busy praying to God, saying, I'm sorry, I haven't prayed this morning, but here we go. And uh, another car pulled out in front of me, so I swore at the driver. Then I thought, this is not a good start to a Sunday. You're praying to God and swearing at another person while you're doing it. This is not a great start, you see. (laughs) But... Why did I do it? The answer is not. It wasn't the fault of the other driver, was it? It's my sinfulness which just got expressed. And often our sinfulness is expressed most clearly not in our actions, what we decide to do, but our reactions. Don't you find that? You didn't intend to gossip, but somebody else did, so you joined in. You didn't intend to be envious or jealous, but you saw somebody who had everything that you really want and so this jealousy just swells up inside you. That's what happens to me all the time. Or you think you've forgiven somebody, then you see them again, and all of a sudden your anger jumps up from somewhere inside you. See, that's what it's like to have sin ruling your life. And that's, Paul's. Paul is saying, is what the world is like. Sin reigning through death because, as we've already learnt in Romans, the wages of sin is death. Why do human beings die? Because we sin. And what's the mortality rate? The hundred percent. Everybody who has lived has died or is going to die. If I'd gone into Parliament, and I'm thankful I didn't, I'd love to be minister for the aging because you'd be successful every year. You could give an annual report to Parliament. Uh, members of Parliament, I'm pleased, honorable members, I'm pleased to announce that in my portf- under my portfolio, under my direction, everybody has aged a year since my last report one year ago. I have a hundred percent success rate, and furthermore, everybody who's aged a year is either is is a one year exactly one year nearer death. It's true, isn't it? I was preaching a few weeks ago back in January, and I said during the sermon, "Of course, I may be dead by lunchtime," and some young men in the second row laughed. It's actually true, isn't it? We're only kept alive by the gracious gift of God. He gives us air to breathe, doesn't he? And uh, keeps our brains functioning as much as they do. and Keeps our lungs doing whatever lungs do. And heart beating away, quietly inside. Life's the gift of God. Death is our destiny. Yes. Sin rules... Through death, And every death is a reminder that we are sinners. In the day you eat of it, you'll surely die. Well, they didn't die immediately, but they were dead towards God. And that's the worst death, isn't it? Actually, physical death is not the worst enemy. The worst enemy is being dead towards God. You see, if you poke someone who's dead, they don't respond, do they? If you're dead, you can't respond to anyone. And if you're spiritually dead towards God, then you can't do anything for God. You can't love God. You can't even hate God. You're just dead towards God. Sin rules through death. So, Paul says, the other great world ruler is grace, that is, God's grace in Jesus Christ, that is, God's gift in Jesus Christ, that is, God's free gift in Jesus and his death for us on the cross, which brings about eternal life. For what changes the rule of sin in death is the death of Christ for our sins and his resurrection, which brings life. And Jesus' resurrection is not just a resuscitation from the dead so that he died a few years later. Not a temporary resuscitation, but a permanent resurrection to eternal life. So the only cure for death is life. Well, the only cure for death is Jesus' death. And the only cure for death is Jesus' life. Jesus' death and Jesus' life. Here's a summary of this section of Romans. One man, Adam's disobedience, leads to sin, judgment, condemnation and death. One man, Christ's obedience, his grace and gift, lead to faith, righteousness and life. Let's say our memory verse again, using the word rule. So that just as sin ruled in death, so also grace might rule through righteousness, to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So as Paul looks out in his world, he sees two world powers, sin leading to death, and grace, that is the grace of God, leading to life through Christ. Sin ruled through death. What's the response we have to that? Well, for some people, they want to fight death to the very end, don't they? They want to pretend they're not going to to die. That's why I've had many facelifts. I now have scalp lifts, indeed, because my face is so high, there's no room for it, so I had to have a scalp lift as well. And uh, we pursue being perpetually young, which, let me tell you, Uh, from my experience, doesn't work forever, as you may observe. We talk about fighting diseases, don't we? Fighting the common cold. (laughs) It's a splendid expression, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Because the common cold is going to spoil our week, or something like that. And my contemporaries now have a bucket list of things they must do before they die. That is, you have to cram everything in before you die, you see, as if it'll make a difference for eternity, whether you've been to Bali for the twelfth time or something like that. The answer is, it won't. And if when you're dead, you're dead, you won't remember it anyway. So why bother? Why waste the money? But isn't it interesting that we like bad news and we like seeing people suffering? That's our entertainment, isn't it? You learn a lot about people from entertainment. We love seeing people dying in films and on television, don't we? We love it. That's a very odd thing to love, isn't it? Loving suffering and death. I think part of it is we think, well, at least I'm not a refugee. (laughs) At least I'm not being bombed by somebody. I'm one of the lucky ones. But we're still entranced by it, aren't we? You know, that's what the news is like every night, isn't it? It's not the news, it's the bad news. Here are some bad news, here are some more bad news, here are some more bad news, and here are some more bad news. Someone's been shot. Somebody drove up and killed lots of people. Uh, people dropped more bombs on more people around the world today. Why do we love bad news? It's a sign of the power of sin and death in our lives. We're entranced by them. We embrace them willingly, voluntarily. We love them. When we can't find real death and suffering, we find fictional death and suffering. <laughs> it's a sick world, isn't it? There was a wonderful uh, Jewish woman who was converted in France during this, just before the Second World War, Simone Weil. And she wrote some, uh, some luminous words. She said, uh, in fiction, evil is attractive and good is boring. Now, you think about it. In fiction, evil people are interesting, aren't they? And the good people are often pra- portrayed as really boring. She says, in real life, evil people are very boring and good people are very attractive. And isn't that right? How boring, evil people are in reality. They're so self-obsessed, aren't they? So malevolent, so vicious, so wicked, so self-centered. But good people are so attractive, aren't they? So lovely. Some of the, the most beautiful people I've ever met have been people filled with goodness. But our world prefers sin and death. Well, what can we learn from these verses from Paul's letter to the Romans? Firstly, from verses 12 to 14, sin and death came into the world by one man. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that is through Adam, you read his story in Genesis 1 to 3, and death through sin, in this way death came to all people because all sinned. He's not saying that if you die, you're a especially wicked person. He's saying this is the general rule for humanity. Our sin leads us to death because sin blinds us to its reality. Isn't that right? If you gossip once, you're aware of it. If you gossip a second time, you're less aware of it. And by the fifth time, you don't even notice it. The first time you hate, you know you're doing it. The next time it's easier the twelfth time, it's happening automatically, isn't that right? That's the awful thing about sin, it blinds us, makes us dead to its presence, blinds us to its presence. That's why sinning is so easy, so easy, it becomes automatic. To be sure, Paul writes, sin was in the world before the law was given, that is the law of Moses in the Old Testament. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam, that is, the beginning of the human race, to the time of Moses, even among those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one who is to come. Yes, because we're all children of Adam, we are all sinful, and therefore we sin. We don't have to be taught to sin. It happens automatically. (laughs) You could, li- you could live a life entirely protected from other people and you would still be a sinner. You can't protect people from sinfulness, it comes from the inside out. But as surely as sin and death reign through one man, grace and life came by one man, Jesus Christ. Verses 15 to 17. But the gift is not like the trespass or the sin. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Well, I've been talking about the power of sin and death, and I've tried to show that it's actually very powerful in our world. It's part of the air we breathe. But Paul's point is, strong as they are, the grace and power of Christ is stronger. So please don't go away from today thinking, oh, the world's a dreadful place. It is a dreadful place because sin rules through death, but it's a wonderful place because grace and life rule through Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful place because Jesus came. If Jesus had not come, it would just be an awful place, full stop. Grace and life came by the one man, Jesus Christ. And the contrast is between uh, obedience and condemnation. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. And I love the, this is verse 16, but the gift following many trespasses uh, brought justification. You might think. If one sin brought condemnation, then many trespasses would bring more condemnation. But actually, no, following our, our sins, our trespasses, God's gift in Christ brings justification, freedom from guilt. For if by the trespasses the one man death reigns through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign or rule in life through the one man Jesus Christ. I love the way which Paul packs up his phrases there. If by the trespasses of the one man death reigns through one man, how much more, and then he doubles it, will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and then, and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And the contrast is between disobedience and condemnation by Adam and obedience and justification from Christ. Verses 18 and 19. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also the one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. But just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Well, what was the obedience? Of the one man. We know too well about the sin of Adam, don't we? On the day you eat of the fruit of this tree you will surely die. So what do Adam and Eve do? They grab (laughs) the fruit and they eat it, disobeying God's word. And grabbing. What's Jesus' act of obedience? Well, it's perfectly portrayed in these verses in his prayer on the Mount of Olives. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond the disciples, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. So Jesus' act of obedience was to take the cup from his father and drink it in his death. That was his act of obedience. You see, we're not saved by our obedience, our being good. (laughs) We're saved by one man's act of obedience, Jesus. If you're willing, take this cup from me, but not my will but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Jesus needed a help from his heavenly Father to make this decision, this act of obedience, to go to the cross. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling on the ground. It was a costly act of obedience, wasn't it? How easy to grab, how costly to give because he was giving not just a gift, but his very self. He was giving himself for you and for me. That's the act of obedience by which we're saved. so in verses 20 and 21, where sin increased, grace triumphed. I love that. The law was brought in so that the the trespass might increase. See, the more human beings you have, and the clearer God's command is, the more sins you have. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned or ruled in death, so also grace might rule through righteousness, that is the gift of Christ's righteousness to us, to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, I wonder if you remember the uh, vision that Ezekiel had in Ezekiel chapter 37 in the Old Testament. Do you remember that he had a vision of being in a an enormous valley, a great big, broad valley, <laughs> which was just full of bones, dead bones. And when what, once you can see you're surrounded by bones, you know people have been alive and are now dead. That's a pretty sure so If you ever find yourself surrounded by bones, think to yourself: there were people who had those bones once, and now they don't. They're dead. And in the vision, of course, this is God's people who've sinned against God and been sent off into exile. And they say, well, our hope is lost. You know, there's no hope for us. So then Ezekiel is called, first of all, to prophesy to the bones. It may, it may seem an odd thing talking to dead bones. Uh, I don't know if you ever tried to talk to a dead bone, chicken bone or something like that, and say, get alive. It doesn't work. I found that. Okay? So nothing, nothing there's a sort of gradual response. And then Ezekiel is called to pray to the wind of God, the Spirit of God, to breathe upon these bones that they might live. And all of a sudden they stand up a great host of people, you see. There's God who can raise the dead. That's what God can do, raise the dead. That is, raise people who are dead towards him to be alive towards him. That's why Paul quotes the saying in Ephesians 5, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will give you life. So, where sin rules through death. Grace can rule. Christ can rule through life. Do you remember Jesus' words in John chapter 5? Do not be amazed at this, the time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice, that is Jesus' voice, and come out. Those who've done what is good will rise to live. Those who've done evil will rise to be condemned. So one day when Jesus returns, he'll say, out now, and everyone who's ever lived will rise from the dead. Be astonishing. Even people who didn't believe in the resurrection will rise from the dead. A number of people very surprised to find they're alive again. (laughs) Oh, this wasn't wasn't meant to happen. (laughs) What am I going to do now? The answer is meet God. That's the power of Jesus' resurrection, that he can raise everybody and restore the whole creation, as a matter of fact, while he's at it. But then he also says, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. He's talking about his own ministry, walking around the Holy Land. And when he speaks, his voice can raise the dead. Well, there's a wonderful story of a a a preacher who wrote a book, Preaching to Raise the Dead. And I often think when I'm preaching, I wish I could do that. Some people in the third row are looking a bit sleepy at the moment. I wish my preaching could raise the dead. Well, can't even raise some people from sleep, I discover. (laughs) Actually, my favourite story of the preacher and sleep is of the preacher who dreamt he was preaching and woke up and found that he was actually preaching. That's a bit frightening, isn't it? Imagine if your preaching put you to sleep. I'm still awake, I think. Okay. But there's one preacher who will raise the dead, Jesus. And one preacher who can do that now to people who are dead towards God. He can say, come out, rise now. And people rise in his grace and his kindness. We might shut our eyes and think that sin does not rule in our world, but it does. But we must open our eyes to the fact that though sin is powerful, grace is more powerful. Because Jesus is more powerful. As sin ruled in death, so also grace Rules through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, the greatest miracle that God ever does is to raise someone who is dead towards God, to be alive towards God. And He's doing it all around the world, even today, <laughs> where men and women and children who are dead towards God are coming alive to God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we're so sorry when we look out on the world and see the effect of individual and corporate sin and national sin and universal sin in our world. and We see so many distressing signs of that sin in our world and in our own lives and communities. But we thank you that where sin rules, grace is more powerful, more triumphant, more productive because of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So please, through Christ, may your grace, may your Son, our Lord Jesus, rule in our world today and turn many people, bring many people from death to life for Jesus' sake.